I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today, I'm speaking to one man who is doing all he can to shape the fabric of our society. André Calus is an essential part of Mement Graffiti, a left-wing Maltese organization set up in 1994, actively against the oppression and exploitation of people, the environment, and animals, with a vision of freedom and radical democracy. André is often in the news making a stand against issues that matter to him, to society and to the country. André and his dreadlocks have led marches, slept in tents, interviewed on television, press and radio, protested, partied, all in the name of making change. André, thank you so much for being thanks with for me. Thanks for having me here. It's so good I'm to happy have to be you. Here. And thanks for that very flattering intro. <laughs> but yeah... You're very, very welcome. Listen, I was really motivated to have you on this show because of an earlier interview that I had with Herman Grech, and I'm going to come to that in a moment. But before we get to that, I want to clarify a few facts. You're one of the driving forces behind Movement Graffiti, which describes itself as a left-wing organisation. Now, in my experience... Left-wing, right-wing is usually associated with a political party or movement. So explain to me what left-wing means in this context and also what you stand for. Left-wing, not only in this context, left-wing in global terms, what it means is that we stand for equality and that we stand for social justice. So so within the left-wing spectrum, you will find different shades. I mean, there are persons who are left-wing in different ways. And uh, movement graffiti does not have a specific left-wing ideology, like being a communist or anarchist, for example. It has, it has persons who identify as left-wing, but have different ideas. So, um, and that's what we do also. We discuss different ideas, but all of what we do is based on ideas of equality and social justice. Believing that we live in a very unequal and unjust world. Not only Malta, it's a global thing. Inequality is widening. What we are seeing, wars, climate change, they are not something casual, that they happen because it is intrinsically human to behave in that way. We believe that inequality and justice is because there are powerful forces and specific interests which create a system that instead of being a system that is for the benefit of the many, instead it is a system that benefits the the few, where few enrich themselves, few have much more control over others. Inequality and the rich wanting to get richer has been around since the beginning of mankind though. Not always to the same extent. Inequality has always existed, I would agree with that. Um, Different social contexts and different um, through history, there has always been some degree of inequality, whether it's between women and men or between different ethnic groups or uh, based on economic terms, um, social classes. It's true, some degree of inequality 
has existed um, since ever, but it's not the same degree. Those degrees of inequality vary a lot according to the system you have in place. But I believe that we can achieve a system that is much, much more equal than the current one. See, I love listening to this. I get so excited when people are passionate about people and passionate about change. And seeing your face, seeing your, your passion on your face is really empowering. Tell me where this comes from. What spurred you on to be involved in making change or a passion for making change? Have you always been like this since you were a small, young man? Yeah, I, I do not think that I am different from other persons in many, many ways. I think we all are, when we see, when we experience injustice or when we see injustice happening on others, I think we are all moved by that. So I do not think that it is, this is something that is a, the, a particular characteristic of the activist. I, I was interested in seeing what's happening around the world, not just in Malta, and in reading about how um, different contexts and systems shape our lives, lead to certain processes. And that's something that I, I started having an interest in. And when I was then 17 years old, 16 or 17 years old, I joined Movement Graffiti, which was the, at the time, it was one of the few, if not the only left-wing organization in Malta, which was not a political party. And for me, that was very important because I didn't want, I was not really, and I'm still not interested in being active in a political party, not because there's anything wrong in that, it wasn't personal. It was not what was motivating me. Can I challenge you just a little bit? Of course. Because I don't think that everybody is awake and as aware as maybe you're suggesting. Does everybody really care at injustice? Because surely we see situations around us all the time that would cause us to be outraged. And yet a lot of people aren't. Well, usually persons would care about injustice when it happens to them, when it happens on them. And, but, uh, but even when it happens on others, I think that it, there is the potential to that. It's a, human, it's a very basic human characteristic a potential that we all have. It doesn't mean that it always happens in, in practice. We have a system that is constantly harping, pushing the idea of the individual, the individual as an isolated, as not having a responsibility or commitment towards others. And, and so that shapes us. But we can break from that too. I mean, we do have as humans the potential to feel that something is unjust, to work for that to change. It doesn't always happen in practice. But I believe everyone has a potential to think differently. You use the word awakening as well. And yeah. you also mentioned that people become involved in caring about what's happening when it happens to them, when it becomes more yeah. personal. And this is goes back again to the interview with Herman Gregg, which is what prompted me to talk to you, because Herman in that interview said that the environment in Malta has gone beyond the tipping point. We are past the point of no return when it comes to the environment. This whole agenda of the environment brings me back to an issue that took place over in Dingley with regards to some ODZ land, some beautiful trees, and you guys, a bunch of you guys, uh, in tents, protesting and standing up against 
developers and construction workers. And at one point I saw in the video that the construction workers were coming at you with their vehicles. Have you felt threatened in what you do? Have you ever felt really in danger for standing up for what's important? Well, personally, I cannot say I really felt, ever felt in danger of being harmed. I have to be honest about this. There were cases, yes, for example, in Dingley, I wasn't there. So perhaps the person, that activist, who also happened to be a resident of the area, so she had an attachment to, to that place. Um, yes, of course, I, she must have felt threatened by the fact that there was a high muck coming her way and uh, seemingly not caring that she was in the way. What happens usually is that when you are during this kind of actions, um, at that point in time, you feel, you, 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 you feel strong in that kind of situation. Well, really, this is, this is something also interesting, that often, now I'm not talking about the activists, but I'm talking even about residents. They have a lot of fear when they start, um, when we start engaging with them and they want to talk about issues their locality is facing, they have a lot of fear. They have a lot of fear because that's how Malta is. The people, it's connections, um, politicians controlling the locality, controlling your opportunities. Um, so there is fear. Partly this fear is based on objective factors. It's true, there is a control. The political parties in Malta have a capillary control over our lives because they have connections through the band clubs, uh, workplaces. So, so, there, so there's fear, okay? You know, I, I know this is really something wrong and sometimes that's something, that thing I feel that is very unjust is being done even by the political party I support. For example, you have persons continually calling us and for example, say, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of the party in government. But I really think that what is being done here is totally wrong. And at that point, usually persons have a lot of fear. They fear that if they talk about it, if they try to do something about it, that will affect their, their not opportunities just in terms of career opportunities, but also their social life in a way, because you know there are their family that maybe will not be happy about the fact that they are talking about it, that they are being visible about it. So usually there's a lot of fear. What happens, and it, this almost always happens, is once the people start talking, once the people, once the people overcome that fear they, have, they had at the start and they start talking, that fear goes away. And they, they, because when you start doing something, when you start engaging, and it's the same way as being there in front of the Haimak in Dingli, at that point, Although the situation might present some risk for you, the fact that you are doing something about it makes you less fearful, makes you less fearful. And uh, I think this is something that the Maltese uh, really have to think about because what we see all around is this widespread fear and concern. People that are concerned, that feel uh, that we are heading in a very wrong direction, but start overthinking perhaps of what could happen to them. And, and so, yes, when you do something, you feel less fear. This is, again, exactly what Herman was saying in the interview a month ago, because he talked about the fact that people don't speak out because they are fearful of what their boss might think or what their work colleagues might think or 
as you said, families, not necessarily physical harm, but what society yeah. might think about them yeah. if they do speak out. And he mentioned how powerful that is in Malta. Now, if you look around the world, public protest is incredibly powerful and people are prepared to die for what they believe in and yet in Malta people are very fearful of speaking out do you think that there is change you mentioned change there do you think that people are now really starting to speak out because they want change yes definitely we can see we can see and feel that kind of change like the, the kind of change that the people they are more willing to speak up and to become involved. And even, we see, with uh, graffiti itself, I mean the number of activists we have now. And when I say activists, it's not uh, those just, I mean, who receive emails from us or who support us, but persons who are there every week um, doing activism, painting banners, um, writing press statement articles, going around meeting others to organize. Uh, we see, you know, there are right now in graffiti around 55 persons who are active on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a huge thing for, for a context like more. If I look at 20 years ago, there was no way you could have that level of engagement. Um, what, what so so I, I think what happened? At some point, the people start feeling that something needs to change, that we cannot continue. Because before I mentioned fear, yes, fear is, is something that, that we encounter all the time. But there is something else, and that is, I think, directly linked to, to the control of political parties in Malta, is that the people do not know how to organize themselves outside political parties. I think that's now starting to change. Because there is also some kind, I think, of, I mean, uh, a growing distrust also uh, with the political parties. Well, we have been through a turbulent time over the past, let's say, three to four years. Do you ever tire? I'm going to use a, a very crass phrase, but do you ever tire of being the one who sticks their balls on the line, the one that steps out? Or is there a buzz in fighting the system? There's, there's a buzz, definitely. But I would say that activism, I always insist about this, activism is not a hobby. It's, it's a passion, yes. We do it because we are passionate about it. And because we are passionate about it, there's a buzz in it. As I say, standing in front of a high mark, not letting, I mean, construction starts in a place, it does give you a buzz, but we're not doing it for the buzz of it. We're doing, it gives us a buzz because we really believe it. And that gives you a sense of power and control over our lives. We have been disempowered. So we need to get that back. And when you get that back, there's a buzz in it and, and it's good. Tell me what you think that the greatest example of your impact has been in recent years as a, as a movement. Mm. What, what can you put your finger on and say, we were involved in that, we empowered people to be involved in that, and we saw change? So if I had to talk about an action where there was an immediate, a spectacular effect, I would say, was six years ago when we opened the gates of Manuel Island in Xira, 
So there you had a place, one of the few open spaces in a congested area that had been closed off. It was public land that had been, that had been given to a private company and the private company had closed it off. So it's the whole Manuel Island area for 16 years. The people of the area had an attachment to that place. Many um, had been going to that place when they were young, their childhood was there. And that place had been closed off for 16 years. And we went there, we started a campaign. The mayor of the place too was very much involved. And we went one day and we broke the gates. We cut the fences. I remember. And that was, of course, what we were discussing before. The feeling you get when, when you do that. It's a very empowering feeling. And, and it is a buzz. It, it is, really. And uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of that you feel that there's a buzz in doing that. Because, yes, being empowered, feeling that you can do change in a direct way um, is something that makes you... Happy, I would say. So, yes, definitely. And of course, and it, it was a campaign. It, it didn't end there because then they closed it again. And then we called a protest. And this time we opened the gate again and pulled the fans down while hundreds were there. And so everyone was going. And I remember those days. It, went over, it took over three weeks to really declare victory. And the company accepted that it had to keep the place open. And now it's open. Now we go there sometimes. It's full of persons swimming there, doing barbecues, other activities, something that couldn't happen six years ago because it was all closed off. Um, so it, it, it took three weeks, and during those three weeks, it was a very emotional experience because you had very old, older persons coming to us with tears in their eyes, telling us, you know, I never thought that I would see this place open again while I'm still alive. So it, it was something really, really um, emotional, it, you had a very direct impact. I remember that after that action, I had uh, discussed uh, with the other activists of graffiti, told them, you know, this Manuel Island action, it was a, su a success, a huge one, but it's very risky for us because it can give us the illusion, the false thought that we can easily repeat this same action for other issues when it's not the case. In most issues, unfortunately, you will not have that kind of immediate, direct impact. Often you cannot have immediate, clear wins, uh, but it's still very important to fight the fights because that, that is, it's, the fight, it's the process of fighting, of increasing awareness, increasing engagement, that's really slowly can lead to structural change. Well, now you've talked about structural change, and I want to come to you and ask, what would you like to see as structural change in Malta? If you could change how Malta works, how it is right now in 2021, what would you most like to see? I think there are two interlinked spheres that need to change, and it is the political and the economic sphere. We have a class, a group of business persons together with their links with politicians and political parties. It's a web that have accumulated a lot of economic and political power in Malta. And I think that needs to change. I believe that both wealth and political control needs to be more equally distributed among everyone. What is economic growth? It doesn't even mean a strong economy. 
it just means economic growth, that the economic activity is increasing and increasing at a very, very fast rate. And in Malta, we had stratospheric economic growth over the past years. That doesn't make a good economy for the country. First, that kind of economic growth happened at a huge social and environmental cost. Second, that economic growth does not guarantee well-being for everyone. What we have is that inequality, even economic inequality in Malta, is growing. And we have tens of thousands of workers who are being exploited and also who are receiving very low wages. We cannot base our economic system on economic growth only. There has to be a degree of economic growth, but it shouldn't be uh, the yardstick by which we measure whether the economy is doing okay or not. But don't you think there's a problem there? Because for the most part, for the largest percentage of Malta, this economic economic growth that we've seen, certainly since I've been here in the past 17 years, has meant that that large percentage of the population are very comfortable and comfortable in ways that they weren't necessarily comfortable before. And that isn't a motivation for anyone in that large proportion of the population to speak up and require change, because actually they're just very happy where they are. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a very large section of the Maltese that are gaining from this uh, um, uh, impressive economic growth. Many have the perception that they will gain from it. It's not necessarily that they are actually benefiting from it. You have many Maltese who are, you know, even to buy or rent a place where to live. I mean, they, they, they spend half or more than half of their wage just to have a roof over their head. It's not a luxury. It's just having a roof over your head. Because of this economic growth, because and the rise in property and rent prices in Malta is because this boundless almost economic growth we had, and many are finding it hard even just to have a roof over their place. Then many also reason that they, have, they, they own their place, so that is increasing in value, for example, and that they would be, many Maltese have this idea, so it's good, you know, because my, my place, it's increasing in value. Yes, but you are living in that place. I mean, does it really matter that much that it's increasing in value? Let's say you had to sell that place and go to live somewhere else. Still, that other place you will have to buy would have increased in value too. So it's not that you are gaining something for it. But there is this kind, that I would say that generally, yes, right now what, what happened over the past years, we, have, we had this huge economic growth and that has allowed government to give enough to the people to be okay. So they, they are, you know, saying uh, it, it happened at a cost because inequality did increase and the environment, of course, the environmental cost was, was huge. But, st- but, but yes, the fact that there was this economic growth, this huge economic growth, even the revenue for government was enough for it to have, uh, although it was just getting a very small slice of this growth, because even taxes in Malta are quite low, so the, but because the growth was, was huge, that was enough to sustain hospitals, education, to, to grant schemes that uh, kept many happy with the system. That happened, but that's not a sustainable model at all. First, as we know, in economic terms, in all countries, periods of uh, 
uh, fast and high economic growth are often followed by slumps. I mean, it's, uh, it's econ- the economy, it's an illusion that the economy can keep growing unbounded. It doesn't happen. And if you have a fairer distribution of wealth, you don't need this level of economic growth because although the economy is growing less, what's coming out of the economy, it's being more equally distributed. And this is the big difference. So uh, because if if we keep thinking that okay, let's give everything to the private companies, to the rich, so let's keep workers' conditions and wages down and government have a specific policy over the years to not in any way increase wages or improve conditions for workers and we had a state-sponsored system by design of bringing over tens of thousands of third-country nationals to work on cheap wages and being exploited in Malta, and they are, there are, we meet them, that's part of our activism too. We have been meeting, meeting work, workers from Nepal, from India, that are being totally and ruthlessly exploited. And they cannot do anything about it because the system, the bureaucratic, the administrative system, by design, is made in a way that they cannot open their mouth. Because the moment they do that, they are sent back to their country. This was by design, and this is not the situation of one or two workers, a few exceptions. This is the systems of tens of thousands of workers in Malta right now. So when we talk about economic growth, this is what the economic growth is based on. It's based on the exploitation of workers and the environment. And of course, we saw over the COVID pandemic the awful lot of those exploited workers had to leave Malta, yeah, leaving well, an employment... They are disposable. Uh, they, are, they are treated as disposable labour. But as we now term. move out of, of the, the pandemic... No, they are, they are needed again. They're, they're needed again and they're not here. Yeah. And of course, you mentioned about this economic boom and if we have other factors that are going to affect this that may not be affecting this immediately, but will, such as the grey listing and perception overseas of where we are right now. Another consequence of economic growth, I would say, grey listing, because we have given, so not having regulations was a way of making the economy grow. Andre, I'm going to ask you one last question. What are the small steps that someone can take to start making change? Because we aren't all activists, but I'm pretty sure that we can all make change. Yes, and I think that is the most important thing to believe that we can all make change. The main issue we face is helplessness. The people thinking that they cannot do change, affect change in any way. And so believing that change is possible, that the people, that you as an individual, being with others, can change things, is the, the, most, the first and most important step. And to get inspiration, you just have to look at history. Second, on the more practical side, is grouping with others, on talking to others, and believing that change can only happen not just by writing on Facebook or posting on social media, posting angry comments on social media. Good, that's very good. It's important that the people have also a way of expressing that anger, but it has to move beyond the individual. Change starts when you start organizing. And to organize, you need to be engaged with others, with 
a neighbor, with activist groups, uh, workers' union. It depends on the issue. Of course, then the practical organizational aspect will very much depends on uh, the issue that, that, that is at play in that. Andre, thank you so much for being here at the interview. Thank you so much for inspiring me and for the people listening to this podcast and also for being so much involved in making change. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>